Creative Babble. Gage Bethune's attorney says that Praveen Verghese died of hypothermia. Tragic, but it wasn't Gage's fault. Regardless, ultimately, the jury was unmoved. The jury convicted Gage Bethune of first-degree felony murder. Did the jury get it wrong? Why else would a judge overturn a verdict? I'm John Taylor with The Twisted Podcast. And I'm Javier Leva with The Pretend Podcast. And this is Criminal Conduct, Season 4, Getting Away with Murder. The case against Gage Bethune rests in the hands of one man, Illinois State Attorney Mike Carr. From the very start, he did not signal any interest in prosecuting this case. He told Lovely that Gage did nothing wrong. Her son walked into the woods and froze to death. It's that simple. I read Mike Carr's statement again. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that until I read it. And I'm just like, it's so condescending. He, and, he, he, oh. he has written, Praveen had a comfortable death, you know? To me, a comfortable death is you get to an age of 90, 95, you have your relatives around you and you go peacefully. That is comfortable death, not this. this he, Praveen had a violent death and he had the nerve to tell me, your son had a comfortable death. As you can imagine, these statements were a huge blow to Lovely and the rest of her family. She wanted justice, but that wasn't going to happen unless Mike Carr, the prosecutor, wanted it to happen. From Lovely and radio show host Monica Zuka's perspective, nothing was happening. Then, a full year after Praveen died, in February of 2015, Mike Carr released his report. John, let's go through this report that Mike Carr put together on whether or not he was going to pursue this case. It's a very detailed report, over 10 pages long. He starts off by describing Praveen's body. He notes the bruise above the eyes, so he acknowledges that, but he downplays it. He refers to it as a small bruise above his forehead. Yeah, I think Mike Carr's report, I mean, it's detailed, but it only looks at one side of things. And I mean, here he refers to the injury on Praveen's head as a small bruise. According to the second autopsy, that doctor is saying that there was blunt force trauma to the head, and he identified three injuries to Praveen's head and identified them as much more significant than just a small bruise. But that's nowhere in the report. Yeah, Mike Carr says that Praveen Varghese died of environmental hypothermia, which is consistent with the first autopsy. He says that there's an absence of significant trauma, and he even had two independent experts review the initial autopsy and they happen to agree. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are some valid points there as far as the conclusion of environmental hypothermia. But the second autopsy that was conducted by Dr. Margolis, he wasn't even able to look at the first autopsy. So he had to do it without seeing anything from the original or an official autopsy. That's a really good point. And, you know, in Mike Carr's report, he also indicates that Praveen was intoxicated. I mean, he mentions it at least 10 times in his report. He says that, witnesses, friends who were at the party, even Praveen's cousin said that he was highly intoxicated. 
And for this reason, my car concludes that Praveen Raghiz was so intoxicated, so drunk that he, quote, bolted into the dark and frigid woods when the police arrived. I don't disagree here with my car on the fact that Praveen was likely intoxicated, but there are many problems I have with this report, but this is probably the biggest. And that is nowhere in the report did Mike Carr mention that the toxicology report showed that Praveen had no alcohol in him. The only alcohol in Praveen was from decomposition. So I just find that really disingenuous. Yeah, to me, it kind of took away any credibility from this report because I don't think anybody is arguing, not even Lovely is arguing that Praveen didn't drink that night. And sure, maybe he was drunk at some point, but to completely dismiss the fact that the toxicology report came out clear, to me, that was a red flag. Yeah, he never mentioned it. So that's a huge problem. Talk a little bit about Mike Carr and his thoughts on who the aggressor was in the whole interactions between Praveen and Gage Bethune. Yeah, if you read Mike Carr's report, Praveen was the aggressor, not Gage. And in fact, he says that Gage admitted to hitting Praveen. And he points out the bruise on the forehead, which matched where, you know, Gage admitted to hitting Praveen. But wait, I thought his independent pathologists didn't even acknowledge the bruise. They said it was postmortem discoloration. Yeah, exactly. So to me, he's kind of countering the autopsy by saying that Gage did punch Praveen and that Praveen had this injury to the head because that's not what the autopsy is claiming. But this part of the report to me, it's almost laughable at how much credibility Mike Carr gave to Gage Bethune. I mean, every time that Gage lied, he's like, well, he admitted to lying though later. And uh, he feels like anything and everything Gage did just further validates how good of a witness and how reliable he is. And he even points out the fact that Gage voluntarily came into the police to do an interview, which that somehow Mike Carr seemed to think made him look innocent or that he's more likely innocent because he did that. But of course, everyone who talks to the police talks to them voluntarily. And many, many people will go into the police as a guilty person and thinking that they can outsmart or manipulate the police. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, he cites that Gage voluntarily went to the police. He cites that Gage admitted to the state trooper that he got into an altercation with some guy. And all this, you know, adds up a legitimate story. Because if Gage wouldn't have come to talk to the police, then they wouldn't have ultimately found his body. From Mike Carr's point of view, he was just a, a cooperating witness. And in fact, Mike Carr says, if Gage were guilty, if he murdered Praveen on the side of the road, why would he have his hazard lights on, you know, for the state trooper to be alerted to pull over and, and question him? You know, a guilty person wouldn't put their hazard on. Yeah, and it's almost like uh, Mike Carr has one theory as to what could have happened that didn't. And then he finds all the things that support that theory, like the hazard lights. Um, we don't know what happened on the side of the road. We don't know the amount of time that Gage took to plan this or if he did plan it and how that worked. And Mike Carr says things like, you cannot disprove Gage's lie was legitimate and that his explanation was plausible. And it's like a word gymnastics that Mike Carr is doing to try to give credibility to Gage's statements. I'm not really sure where he was going. I mean, uh, he's a prosecutor. He sounded like Gage's defense attorney. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what's really interesting about the report is that my car indicates that the Gage Bethune had no cuts or scratches, indicating that there's no way that he could have been in those woods. But my question is, did the trooper examine Gage for any uh, bruises or cuts? Yeah, because we've examined the trooper video. I mean, the entire video. So you can see the all the interactions between the Illinois State Trooper and Gage. And in no time did the trooper examine him. And even at some parts in the video, Gage's hands are in his pockets. So you wouldn't even know if his hands were bloody or there were bruises on his hands. And it's funny you mentioned timing, right? In my car's head, he has a clear timeline of things. And he says that it would have been impossible for Gage to commit the crime because, first of all, he directed the state trooper to where supposedly the crime was committed. But even if he did do this, he would not have time to knock him out, drag him to the woods where he was found, which was several yards, and then come back to the trooper in such a short amount of time. So in Mike Carr's head, this timeline is fixed. In the report, Mike Carr uses the word impossible. He says it would be impossible to convince 12 of 12 juries that Gage intended to murder Praveen. And to me, I mean, one, impossible is not a legal term. Two is that later we know that a jury does convict Gage, which just completely weakens the arguments and credibility of Mike Carr. And to me, outside of the not mentioning the toxicology report, which was just a shocking omission by Mike Carr, the one thing that bothered me the most about this report is at the end of it, he never says anything along the lines of if new evidence comes forward that he would reconsider the case or he would relook at possible charges. He never says that. And to me, what he's saying is my mind is made up and there's nothing you can do to change it. This is over. And that's just a huge bias and just basically a lack of independence by the prosecutor. And he should just always be open to new evidence coming forward that he may need to go back and look at this case or any case for that matter. Yeah, I agree. Here's Monica Zukas again. He wrote an 18-page manifesto defending Gage. That's what he did. And put it out to the public. Look, why I'm not pressing charges. According to Mike Carr's report, Praveen was drunk and walked into the woods and froze to death. This 18-page, basically, Praveen's a fucking thief, piece of shit, drug dealer. And this other guy didn't do anything wrong. Go about your business, bitch. Mike Carr had Praveen's complete toxicology report. If he put it in one small sentence there, Praveen's tox was negative, I would have been fine with that report. But he attacked Praveen so many times. I think I, I knew the number. I think 15 or something times he said um, intoxicated, highly intoxicated, drunk. And in this report, he never even said if new evidence comes forward that I would reconsider or look into the case further. He wrote this report as if there was nothing that could be said or done that would ever undo his belief that Praveen was drunk and died in the woods. Right. That's exactly what. But And he told me one thing when I met with him personally, he told me that he said he does not want to ruin another life. He said, I will not charge that boy. If the police arrest him, I have the power to undo that. He's talking about Gage. Yes. Yet Dr. Ben Margolis, who is the director of the Autopsy Center of Chicago, where the second examination was conducted, 
released a statement on recommending a grand jury be convened under alternative supervision, describing the state's attorney as unprofessional, selective, discriminatory, unethical, and biased. Here's Monica Zukas again. Mike Carr made his decision from jump. The drunk Indian kid is dead. Sorry, he did it to himself. I'm not doing anything to this guy because he told what he did. He told us the truth. Well, hell no, he didn't. He saw that he was missing on TV and went outside and puked, and his cousin went and told on him for the reward money. So, John, in 2015, when this report came out, it didn't look like my car wanted a trial. And if my car, the prosecutor, didn't want a trial, well, it's over, right? I mean, the police at that point, they have no reason to keep investigating because the case can't go anywhere once the state's attorney says, hey, I'm not doing anything with it. It was a huge blow to the case. Days after Mike Carr released his report, he revealed that a grand jury met in secret from June through December of 2014. And according to Mike Carr, the grand jury did not find enough evidence to charge Gage Bethune. No bill on first-degree murder, second-degree murder, involuntary manslaughter, or concealment of a homicidal death. The grand jury concurred with the autopsy. Praveen died from environmental hypothermia. Blunt force trauma was not the cause of death. I don't know if the general public knows how a grand jury works. The state's attorney has complete discretion to put 29 pieces of evidence in front of them or two. I mean, you can manipulate it totally. I've heard so many people jokingly say as attorneys, you can indict a a peanut butter and jelly sandwich if you want to. Things were looking bleak, with my car refusing to prosecute and the grand jury not finding sufficient evidence that a crime even occurred. Lovely and Monica were just running out of options. I mean, at this point, the case is closed because Mike yes. Carr submitted his report. Yes. He said the grand jury didn't indict. It's mm-hmm. over. It's over. So this whole time you had your instincts, you had seen Praveen, but you had no records at this point. You didn't know what the police were doing, what Mike Carr was looking at. We had nothing. The only thing we had was the second autopsy. And every time I filed the FOIA, they deny it. It goes to my car for when I file the FOIA and he would deny it and say uh, open investigation. So after my car released his report, he released the autopsy reports, just the autopsy reports. But it was far from over. For more than a year, Monica and Lovely have been in the dark, going simply on intuition. With the case officially closed, They should have been able to get the police records, but despite countless attempts, the authorities denied the Varghese family access to the case records. When I filed FOIA, they sent me a box of newspaper articles. And when we went to the city council, I took that box and I said, I filed for FOIA. This is what your police department sent us, newspaper articles. I said, since when newspaper articles became police reports? I've lost track of how many actions you've taken that have upset people in positions of authority in Carbondale. But so you and uh, Monica decided to go to city council to try to get the records. Any other citizens comments? Yes, ma'am. I took a six hour train ride to be here today and I request your kind attention to me. Tell us your name, please. My name is Lovely Vergis. I come from Chicago. 
My son Praveen Varghese, a 19-year-old SIU sophomore, was killed in this town. So I spoke for 14 minutes and I said, I need your help. I don't know where else to go. The day Praveen was found, no one from the police department told us they had a tip and were following up. How did they make a conclusion that there was no foul play involved? Why were all the assumptions made that he was drunk and on drugs even before an autopsy? Why wasn't the state troopers incident never mentioned to us? Why did we have to hear that from a radio show? We were told that there was a tip and we got a letter from the detective on the case with the name of the tipper and verified he was eligible for the reward money. You have a state's attorney here who, in my opinion, made up his mind the day he got Praveen's case but waited another 10 months to release a report blaming my son for his own death. In his 10-page report, he called my son drunk and intoxicated 16 times but never mentioned a word about Praveen's negative toxicology which he had in possession. He protected a pathologist who ignored all the injuries on my son. How can a doctor ignore these many injuries on a human being? I'm a nurse. I saw my son about two hours after he was found. They showed us only his face and he was covered up to the neck. We all saw the bruise on his forehead even before the pathologist saw him. I knew right then that my son was injured and I remember saying out loud that someone beat him. But we were told that was frostbite and he was found face down. Next day, we were told he was on his back. After about 18 months of requesting for police reports, I get a package of newspaper articles from the police department as records. This is what I got, newspaper articles. Not one official police report was included. Since when newspaper articles became police records? Is this a joke? I'm tired of being treated as a moron. It seems like a big game here a power struggle, a lot of ego. Let all that go and consider us just like fellow humans. Everything is being blamed on an open investigation. What investigation? If there is one, please keep us informed. We believe we were denied justice by the police department, the coroner, the pathologist, and the state's attorney's office. I don't think I'm asking too much when I say I want to know how a 19-year-old healthy kid ended up in the woods dead with no drugs and alcohol in him and what made him not to use his phone which was found next to him. We have been left in the darkness with no answers for over two years now. We still don't know what happened to Praveen that night, when he died, how much pain was he in, was he alone during his last time in this world? How scared was he? And a million more questions, and I have sleepless nights. His name has been dragged through so much, it is unimaginable. He was described as a drunk, drug dealer, and a thief by the officials here. We buried him with heavy hearts because of all the lies we were told and wondering if they were true. And then Monica got on. Monica Zukas. I'm a friend of Lovely. I just want to show you a few images of what we're being told here are not injuries. She took these big pictures of province injuries, showed it to every single one of them. A couple of the council members didn't even want to look at it. The next one, I apologize for how gruesome it is, and if you can't look, you can't look, but this is the incision into the bruise on the right forearm, and it shows that the bruise itself was so deep 
the muscle is bruised and the doctor incised all the way down to the bone and it was bruised down to the bone. One lady left. She couldn't take it and one was sitting there crying. And after that, the mayor did not speak to me. You know, he left. And a few days later, the city manager emailed me and he said, we would like to set up a meeting with you. So my husband and I went and I took Monica with me. When we got to the parking lot, we saw the police chief and another police officer take out these boxes out of their trunk. And I told Monica, I said, I think we are getting reports. So when you went to the city council meeting, the police, the prosecutors, everybody's saying drunk, died of hypothermia. Yeah. Yep. And you and Monica got up in front of the city council for Carbondale and showed pictures. Here are the injuries that, that Praveen had on his body, which they had never seen. And so this is kind of a total game changer as far as now they're seeing what you've seen. And now they have to question the official thing, even if they're not going to publicly say it. They know that there's something going on. Right. Right. The state's attorney, Mike Carr, refused to prosecute, and the grand jury concluded that there was no crime. But now, Lovely and Monica had all the police records in their hands. And what's inside the boxes is going to change the course of this investigation. That's next time on Criminal Conduct. Criminal Conduct was written and produced by me, Javier Leva, with the Pretend Podcast, and John Taylor with the Twisted Podcast. Punith Shinoi with the Podcast Pundits helped us with the production and editing on this series. If you want to binge the entire series, all nine episodes, check out the link in the show notes. It will take you to the Criminal Conduct Patreon page. The episodes are also available on Pretend Plus on Apple Podcasts. Our theme music was written and produced by Ruby Rose Fox. Of course, follow us on social media. We are at CriminalCon on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All right, we'll talk next week. Creative Babble.